0: Morning, will you turn with us to the book of Psalms, to the book of Psalms, to Psalm 19, To Psalms 19. I find it an encouragement that this is what we do. We are committed to what we call expositional preaching, and uh, we're sequential at that. If we just throw out all the buzzwords this morning that we walk through books of the Bible, sometimes we'll take a break out of one book and find ourselves in the Psalms, but even in the Psalms, we find ourselves marching through them in faithful order, of the way that they have been arranged and, as Brother Pace would say, preserved unto this generation. And what a blessing it is to be able to read Psalm 19 together this morning. Let us read Psalm 19 this morning. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament sheweth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night sheweth knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their light has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which he is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making the wise simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them There is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this magnificent psalm. Father, a cherished psalm by ever so many people, of oh God. Father, a cherished reality for us even as we study it. And we don't imagine we could ever mind the depths of the truths of this psalm, Father, for even the psalmist seems to be putting the best language that he had to it, oh God. But Father, we know that it doesn't even fully capture all of it. But nonetheless, oh God, Father, we praise you for the comfort of your spirit that you draw us to these realities. You help us to see these things. You help us to rejoice and to know what is good, to know what is your good portion of oh God. Father, we pray that you would just feed your lambs and feed your sheep, God, according to your purpose, your will, your plan. God, we pray that you would be with those that were not able to gather with us for whatever reason this morning, God. Pray that you be with them, comfort those that are not able to make it due to sickness. Be with those that are traveling and whatever the case may be O oh God. Father, we just rejoice and are glad in you this morning. We pray all of this, that you would get all the honor and glory to your high and holy name. Praying, pray in thy son, Jesus Christ. We're this morning, there can be no more simplicity, I think, than just to listen to Psalm 19. I have reflected as we've been reading through the book of Galatians. Of course, I know that I would talk to Miss Terrell, obviously. And uh, she has remarked, I think she wouldn't mind me sharing this, one of the greatest things about listening to her it is, she said, I've been able to pick up on the structure of the book. I've been listening to it. And I've been able to pick up on the structure of the book a lot better than I would have otherwise. It's amazing when we just soak in the scriptures. And I I probably will allude to him a lot this morning, but I, I just thought about Brother Pace, and you know, I, I remarked it in a post that I made on social media, but it was amazing to me. The last two years, two or three years, I heard him preach from Mark 10 probably no less than four or five times. I think it may have actually been five that I heard him preach from that text. And the last time that I was speaking to him afterward, he was almost apologetic. And I understand that. I understand it's like, well, you've had to hear me preach this same thing. I don't know how many times. And I'm like, yes, but dear brother, it's it's been better every single time. It's been faithful every single time. Now, had he not been faithful to the text, that would have been a different matter. I would have lost. Respect for him, but he was. He was faithful to that text ever so many times. He was faithful to it because he just simply preached the Word of God because he had been soaking in it for so long. And I even heard him. He must have been in Genesis 11, 12, that first half of the book of Genesis. He must have been spending a lot of time in because I kept hearing a lot of sermons from there. And he was just soaking in the text. And it's what came out of him. He didn't even hardly have to pick up the Bible because a lot of times when he was reading something, when he was preaching something, it had been so ingrained into him that he would just share it. He would just begin to read it and communicate it to you. He was faithful to the Word of God. He's one of the rare few. Now, I think you always need to read the Bible. I'm big on that. We're we're here. We're at church. I'm with Brother Herb Butler. We're going to read the Bible since we're at church. Might as well. No better place for it. And we're going to do that as we do but just his ability to soak in it and to know it so well and to be able to present it. Beloved, that is the nature of what should be ingrained into our hearts. And I submit to you that the book of Psalms is actually on that basis. If you go back to Psalm 1 and 2, you see that the psalmist is meditating day and night in the Word of God. That's what the psalmist is meditating on because he knows the Word of God is pure. He knows the Word of God is perfect. And perhaps that even flows over into Psalm 19, one of the greatest psalms that we have as he comes to here. And he says in verse 1, he says... The heavens declare the glory of God. That you can look up at the night sky and proclaim and see how much glory there is of God. And just looking at it, you can look at it in the daytime. If you see it here lately, it's oftentimes seems to be filled with smog. It seems to be something that's there. But blessed when it's just one of those beautiful, clear mornings. There's such just a wonderful way to see it. I love in the wintertime when the air is so much lighter that they have to reduce radio signals in the wintertime so that it won't communicate too far, so that it won't knock out other stations. And I love seeing that clarity of wintertime when the air is lighter and your voice travels further because of all of it, because it's as if it is revealing to us even more of the glory of God. I like how that when you go out into the middle of the countryside, and most of us all have, oh, have Carolina or Georgia power hooked up to a straight lamp. I love it when the power goes out sometimes. If it's actually a clear night for some reason and the power's out, that's one of the most beautiful moments because you can look into the heavens and you can see all of this. And for those of us who have been born again, we come to it and we know that even the heavens, that is to say that the skies, they're declaring the glory of God. How does one look up to the heavens and say that there is no God? How does one look up to there and say that this just happened, that all of this is just a cosmic accident, that somehow it just all came into place and we evolved over millions of years? I understand. Y'all, there are some good scientific arguments as to why all of this happens, but never forget we serve the God who is the creator of all science. We're not working against science. Sometimes it seems to be that the church has a tendency to want to do that, that we want to kind of work against science in some ways. And I will say this science is not always perfectly right. They get stuff wrong, and they know that. They know that it's ever evolving. Sometimes our understanding of something may need to change. Sometimes the way we see something may need to change. But, beloved, what has never changed from moment one is that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament, that he is to say, the earth and everything else. All of this is showing His handiwork. Everything that we get to see in this world shows His. His handiwork, everything about the skylines, everything about God's creation shows His handiwork, shows who He is. If we were to go back to Genesis, we of course know that He spoke everything into existence that is there. And then of course we flip over to John 1, and we know that at the beginning the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know that through Jesus Christ, he is the agent of all things created. We know that when it comes that even Christ was upon the cross bearing the sins for the rest of the world, he was the one who created all things. Mark Bowery's mother wrote a song about that. He said, and he said, I thirst, and yet he's the one that created every river. He's the one that created every body of water that has ever been. And he was the one that was saying he thirsted. On our behalf, he was forsaken of all the glorious things. Yet for the glory that was set before him, he endured the things of the cross. That, yea, beloved, when we look to the heavens declaring the glory of God, we see the magnificent truths, but we're reminded of something else, that Jesus on that cross bearing that penalty of sin that you and I rightly should have been enduring, that even he was looking for the glory that was ahead. Even while we look to the glory down here and we're called up and there is a glory that is ahead that we are looking into, beloved. It is an imperfect glory on this side, but it is a perfect glory on that side. Hallelujah, that we may be able to sing and proclaim him here. But Lord, Lord, what a wonderful thought that one day we shall get to be in eternity with him. One year we will get to spend all of our life in his very presence. That's the Christian life, some people have remarked, is to live as before the Spirit in all of your life. That's what we're looking at. Had we been on normal schedule, we would have been in Galatians chapter 5, studying a little bit about the work of the Spirit this morning. The Lord lined up things different. I don't know about y'all. I think I needed Psalm 19 before I could look again into Galatians chapter 5. I think I needed to see that it is a glorious thing just to look at what God has done, and there is an even greater glory that is to come. It says in verse 2, it says, Day unto day uttereth, this uttereth speech, and night unto night sheweth knowledge. As we've already talked about, the glories of the day, the glories of the night, all of it ultimately is pointing to the Creator. To deny that there is a Creator is to deny something that is relevant in every human being there is. In most every young child, they understand that. There's a creator of some form. They would tell you there is something greater than themselves out there. But it seems to be as we are beaten with societal trends, as we are beaten with the knowledge of the age and the knowledge of all those different things and the wisdoms of the different ages, even as we have talked about, he's able to make the wise, he's able to make the wise simple, as he says later on. All of these different things in the rest of the world, we're beaten down to, and we're beaten down to trying to understand something that God doesn't exist because we can't understand him. How many people that I know in my life that when they don't understand something, they want to cut you off. They want to stop talking about it. I know so many people in my life that are that way. If they don't understand something, that's it. That's the end of the conversation. We stop right there. I'm not going to talk about it any further. And that's the way that it is with so many things with the child of God. There are so many things that we don't understand. Let us be careful that we don't look under this and that we say, well, I don't understand it, so we're not going to talk about it. I don't understand how it all works, so I'm not going to talk about it. Let us be curious. Let us be nosy, as I often call it. Let us study the language of the day and the language of the night. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard, that every language, every voice, every tongue, every tribe is ultimately and somehow communicating to us the things of God if we know who the Creator is. If we do not know Him, it is no wonder that He is allowed us to be blinded, that we are blinded by the age of this, that we are blinded by the things of this age, that we are blinded by the things of the world. If we do not know who the Creator is, you can look up into the heavens and you can know that there is something glorious about it, but you are left with nothing but questions. But for those of us that have been born again, we have the blessed answers that it belongs to God. It says in verse 4, their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them that hath set a tabernacle for the sun, which he is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race, his going forth from the end, is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. But surely we're going to look at the sun, and surely we understand that we're not the center of the universe. We're not the center of this planetary system, but that the sun is the center of this planetary system. And beloved, I don't think that to be an accident. I think that to be one of the things that the heavens are declaring the glory of God, that God has said that we revolve around him, that he has set the sun at the very center so that, yes, there was a day and age where many in the church would proclaim that, no, the earth is the center of it. But yet it seems to be that even the glories of the word of God are communicating to us something different, that, yes, it is the sun that is the center. Yes, the sun seems to be driving so much, but, beloved, even as much as it is talking about that physical star as we know them to be, that star in the sky, the sun as we know it that brings us our heat, which... It's Georgia. It's August. We're not as thankful for that heat right now as we may be in some other months of the year. But all the same, it's doing its job. It's bringing forth crops. But we live in a broken and a fallen world. There's evidences of things in this world which should not be. There's evidences of science. They're trying to tell us, hey, there's some things going wrong. And for you and I as believers, we ought to be the first ones that say, yeah, we know. We've been knowing this for a really long time. We've been knowing from Genesis chapter 3 that this is a broken and a fallen world and things go wrong and we all need Jesus. It's not just y'all need Jesus, it's we all need Jesus is where this thing is. Because as much as it is talking about that physical star, beloved, I fully believe that the psalmist is communicating that greater picture. It is ultimately about the Son that is to come. It is ultimately about the Son of David, the offspring of David that is to come. That also is the son of God that also is Jesus Christ the only one who is able to say, the only one that is able to bring about every good thing that is in our lives to its perfect fruition without the son we die without the son I think it's something like we can live for seven minutes and then all of a sudden darkness will fill the entire earth without the son of God in our lives that's ultimately the way that it is my brother loves this phrase common grace he'll talk to him and loves talking about common grace, and I love that he loves talking about it, because it is a common grace that we get to see the things of the glories of God, that somebody sitting in the United States, somebody sitting in the country of China, they'll wake up in the morning and they'll see the same sunset that I got to see, oh, it'll be a different landscape, sure, but it'll be the same sunrise, all people one day are going to see the Son of God manifested, they're going to see the glory of the Son of God. For those of us who believe in them, for those of us who have repented and trusted in Him, we shall do so with joy about us. But for those that have never been born again, it will be judgment upon them. But did I not declare to you that I was greater? Did I not declare to you that every waking morning, did I not show you my glory? That Moses was asking for Him to show Him His glory. And has not God said every time that we get to see these wondrous things, there is my glory displayed, if you will open your eyes and see it not see God is to close our eyes off from the rest of the world. That's just the physical things. That's just what God has spoken into existence. And yet in verse 7 he takes it and oddly enough Paul seems to have been doing the same thing through the entire book of Galatians. He takes one account and he shows the other side of it. He shows one part of the story. He says, here's track A, but here's track B. Here's the side A of the cassette tape. Here's side B of the cassette tape. For those of you who, like me, had to grow up riding around with cassette tapes in your truck, I know I'm young, but I still grew up listening to them. I still grew up with them in the truck. In verse 7, this is where he begins this, almost what I would almost call a diatribe of sorts. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And yet we've been... The book of Galatians for quite some time. We're confronted with this, that King David over here is saying the law of the Lord is perfect. And yes, I do believe that ultimately when King David is talking about the law of the Lord, he's ultimately talking about the word of the Lord. In general, but surely he is specifically talking about the law, that there was nothing bad with the law. Sometimes we have this tendency, and if we're not careful, we'll misread the book of Galatians and think that the law was some terrible thing. But it seems to be that Paul is communicating, it's all about how you are treating the law. It seems to be that the Galatians' hearts were far from this, that what the law of the Lord is perfect is doing, it is converting the soul. It's not just meant to make us look better than the next guy down the road. It's not to make me look better than my neighbor and because I'm going to church and because so-and-so's not going to church, they're a bad person because I don't cut grass on Sunday. Somebody else is cutting grass on Sunday. They're a bad person. Beloved, you don't know their story. You don't know what it's like now if they never go to church. Yeah, I'd say there's some things that we need to be concerned about, but that's that we need to be looking at their salvation. We need to be looking at their soul. We need to know that the perfect law of the Lord was ultimately about converting souls. Let us be careful that we don't become... Pharisees and Sadducees and sects of our own, as we'll learn from the book of Galatians, just by saying, well, I'm a Baptist, well, I'm a Methodist, and, of course, we know there are 5,000 different types of Baptists even here in Harrison County, I think, because there's, I don't know how many of us here this morning, and that's how many different kinds of Baptists there probably are. Beloved, let us not make it about the wrong things. Let us make sure that we know that the law is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise some. The wisest of this world. Again, surely Paul was dealing with much worldly wisdom in his age. He was looking at these things and. As he was dealing with this, that's what he was looking at. So many of the Greeks in his era were big on wisdom. They were big on what they knew. Even the Roman culture was sometimes big on the wisdom that they had. They wanted to be able to pass that down. And they were probably some of the wisest people that have ever lived in this world. They've known so much more than what so many of us could have ever thought. And yet the testimony of the Lord makes the wise simple. That's what it is. Beloved, it is not in the complicated things of life that we find, but it is in the simple things of life. That if we can look to a sunset, if we can look to a sunrise, if we can look to the stars, if we can look to all the different landscapes that God has given us to look at, and we can see the glory of God displayed, it's not in the complicated, it's in the simple. That when we're communicating the gospel to somebody, let's not make it complicated. Let's make it simple. Let's make it that Brother Terry Pace, as good of a preacher as what he was, the best sermons were his most simple sermons. The best sermons I ever heard from him, he didn't have that many points. He'd have one or two, but he'd be telling you about Jesus. Every good and faithful pastor I've ever known in my life, they made it simple. You can't save yourself, but God will save you, and God will cause you to live for him, and God will cause you to be with him in eternity, or you'll be separated from God for all of eternity. the whole message of the Bible. We often talk about the four points of the gospel. Maybe I should have a better name for them, but beloved, when I say creation, fall, redemption, consummation, or something along those lines, sometimes I'll change up a couple of the words. All that's doing is trying to give you four points to hinge the whole Bible on. All that's doing is trying to give somebody else food for thought and try to understand it. I can't convert them. You can't convert them. We're not meant to convert souls. It's not our job. But it is our job to share with them the glorious things of God. It is our job to communicate these glorious things to them. It says the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart that everything that God has caused before us, every statute of the Lord, every good thing of the Lord that he has put before us that seems to be a rule, that seems to be a good common understanding of things, it causes rejoicing in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, that he brings to us light, never darkness. The word of God will always enlighten our eyes, not confuse things. Not make things more complicated. The fear of the Lord is clean. That will scare a bunch of us to death because there is something in us we don't want to be afraid And that's how I understand that. There's something about us that fear means we might need to flee. Fear means that something greater than us might be there, and we might need to flee from it because ultimately all fear that is separated from God is causing us. If I'm out in the wild and I see a grizzly bear coming toward me, there's going to be some fear. There's a reason that that fear is there. That is a beast that can take me down. That is something that can take my life. It may not take my life. It may just make it miserable by causing me much damage. Beloved, when we come to the Lord... We know that we're supposed to fear him. There is something about us. Somebody put it this way. I was listening to a sermon by Brother Stephen Lawson, and he was communicating, I think, something MacArthur said. And somebody was telling MacArthur one time, he said, I was in this morning, I woke up, and I was shaving, and I saw God. And he said, did you keep shaving? I said, what do you mean? He said, did you keep shaving? He said, yes. And he said, you didn't see God. He said, if you had saw God, you couldn't keep shaving. If you'd saw God in that moment, you would have been struck down. You would have been so afraid. And I thought about how true that that is. Beloved, I don't know about y'all, but the fear of the Lord is clean. I've known some times to where I've been fearful of the Lord. And yet at the same time that that fear was present, there was peace. It makes no sense to me on just an intellectual level how that I can fear God and there be peace. Because, beloved, if I'm looking at a grizzly bear, if I'm looking at a truck that one night we were traveling through a four-way stop and I thought Miss Terry and I were about to see the end of something when this car was coming toward us and it looked like it might not stop, it looked like it might end us, there was a fear there. and There was no peace about that. And yet when I fear God, there is peace. Because the problem with that fear is it's unclean. There's uncleanness in this world. There's evidence of all of that. The fear of that car is not a clean thing because I need to be fearful of that in that moment. That is something that could hinder us. That is something that could harm us. But the thing about the fear of the Lord is those who do it rightly have nothing to fear. Those who do it rightly have nothing but to fear but God himself. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That when we fear God, what he does is he brings peace into our lives. He's much greater than us. It should cause us to be a fearful thing. If you've ever seen God in the mirror while you were shaving, I guarantee you you're stopping. Because when he comes onto the scene, you have to stop all things. When God's forgiveness comes into the scene, when the presence of God enters in, it causes things to stop. Shed Road is a quiet church. Shed Road is not one to shout you down with amens. We're just not. It's just not who we are. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem going into a congregation to where they shout amens every now and then. But you know what I love? is when the presence of God seems the most real in a congregation, especially in the churches that love to amen you down and shout you down and all these other things, when the presence of God seems the thickest to me, and I, I don't know how else to describe it, sometimes it just feels great I don't know, I don't want to be too emotional I don't want to be too much of these things, but sometimes it's just thicker everybody gets quiet and that seems to be when the preacher can do the best preaching I Had to try, I had to tell Mark trawlers all the time, but y'all Sometimes the best thing you can do is not raise your voice, but to drop your voice. And that will capture somebody's attention. I love in church service when it's not fake. Of where when they get quiet, they're listening intently to the things of God. I love there's something clean about the fear of the Lord. There's something captivating about the fear of the Lord. That If we're looking at all these different things, and it says in verse 10, it describes it this way. Or in verse 9, it says... The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are, right, are true and righteous altogether. In verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. That all the picture that the psalmist is painting right now is you're supposed to be captivated by God. That's the point of it all. That when we come to church, we ought to be captivated by God. The greatest thing that I can tell you about Terry Pace is he preached the word of Jesus Christ. He preached to us Christ Jesus is that when he looked at things like that I wasn't left with how great of a creature that he was. When I look at his life I'm not led to think how great of a man Terry Pace was. I'm led to think how great of a God. Because what he left, what he embodied was the image, it was the spirit of God himself. The greatest thing that we can leave anybody is nothing about us but is everything about Jesus. My job as pastor here is to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. My job as a Christian is to proclaim the word of God, die, and be forgotten. We're not meant to be remembered that much. Now, I want to remember Brother Pace because I want to remember what he taught me in so many things. Even if he didn't mean to, he taught me so much just by watching him. Because he taught me about Jesus. Every testimony that we should have, everything about us that... Psalmist is just going through all these different things, showing God, showing God, essentially saying to us, be captivated with God himself. And he's been talking about the things of God, but in verse 11, he kind of switches gears. He says, moreover by them is thy servant warned. oh All these things have kind of been good. All these things have kind of been the high and the accolades of God and the, the transcendence of God. Let's be theological for a minute. The transcendence of God, that's the fancy terminology, is how great and how wonderful and how Otherly God truly is. He is transcendent upon anything that would get everything. He's higher than anything we can think. Uh, as much as we're talking about the transcendence of God, here we are talking about the eminence of God, the presence of God, the realness of God in our lives. He says, Moreover, by them is thy servant warned and in keeping of them there is great reward. But beloved, if you want to know the rewards of God, I read something that the prosperity gospel is now taking a greater hold. In many people ages 18 to 34, than what it has in previous generations. Five years ago, it was, that's basically like 10% higher than what it was five years ago, the last time that they did this particular study. Because I think God just wants to bless you and give you money a lot of times. God just wants to bless you and give you help sometimes. Beloved, do we see how that's counterintuitive to what the Psalms to say? Now, look, if God gives you money, be a good steward of it. Please be a good steward of it. I don't think that there is a problem with anybody that's got money. Now there's a problem with richness. There's a problem for the rich man. It's harder for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for the for the camel to go through the eye of the needle, something that was just an impossibility that it is. But beloved, I've met a lot of people that didn't have a lot of money that were rich. A lot of people that didn't have money, but they were rich in the things of the world. They dwelt much in the world. They had a love of money. Even if they didn't have it, they had all these things wrong with them. It's not about whether you've got money. It's what you do with your money. It's not about what you've got all the time. It's not about the physical means that you've got. It's not about the wealth that you accumulate, the health that you accumulate. It's ultimately what you are doing with them because we love it. As the psalmist is saying, if you're keeping these things as he has just walked through, in them there is great reward. There is great reward to be had for living the Christian life. There is great reward to be had for what we don't do, but there is an even greater reward for us. And here I am just preaching the sermon for Galatians chapter 5, so y'all might get a repeat next week. It is who you are. It is about your character. Has your character been changed by God? Or are you the same as everybody else in this world? Beloved, if you're the same as everybody else in this world, you're not following Him because there is a reward. The greatest reward that we have is that we may become more like Him. Verse 12. Who can understand His errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. How the the king, how the, the psalmist, King David, wants nothing between him, but even the secret faults that maybe nobody else knows about, but King David, we have enough of the recorded faults of King David for me to know that there was more in King David's life. If I know so many of the secret things, of, or so many of the things of King David, the public things of him, I know there's private things I don't know about him, and he wants even the secret faults to come before God so that he may be cleansed. He says, "Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins; let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright." and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. It's interesting in the United States, our laws are set up in such a way to where a jury will go out and pronounce somebody not guilty. That's the claim that is made. We're a country that has a pronouncement of not guilty, not that they are innocent, but that they are not guilty. It's actually a lower standard. There are some countries in this world that have a presumption of not innocence that what the decla- what the jury declares is they're innocent it's a higher presumption upon them to say that they're innocent versus they're not guilty some of us well some of y'all i lived through it i don't remember it i just watched it on tv i watched documentaries about it some of y'all remember a big trial from the 1990s that i'm not going to say the name of some of y'all remember this big trial that was all over social media it was all over these different things And somehow, as guilty as we all knew him to be, as everybody in the world just knew that he was guilty of this. And I I wasn't on the jury. I wasn't there. I don't know if he was actually guilty or not. But it sure did look like he was guilty. And yet, the jury came back with a verdict of not guilty. The jury did not say that he was innocent. They couldn't say that he was innocent. Surely, there were plenty of faults. But they could not declare him to be innocent. They could only say not guilty. But, beloved, what God and God alone is ultimately able to say about us is declare us innocent. But that if you are sitting there and you are honest with yourself, you know you are not innocent. You know that there is nothing about you that is innocent right now. You know that there is nothing about you in your life that has hardly ever been innocent in your life. We talk about the innocence of a little child. Beloved, I've seen young little children do terrible things and then laugh about it. Something about us, even at the youngest of ages, they know that something's wrong, and they do it and laugh about it. It's amazing. You don't have to teach them to do wrong. They'll figure it out on their own. You don't have to teach a child bad. They figure it out real quick-like, and they'll probably laugh about it. They might be presumptuous about it. Beloved, some of us are presumptuous in our sins. We let the secret sins go along and not confess them, so that before long, they become presumptuous sins. Beloved, it all needs to be dealt with. The declaration that needs to be given unto us is innocence. And we can't declare it about ourselves, but Jesus alone has made it possible that we might be declared innocent. That it is whether his blood has been applied to us. It's whether the life, the perfect life that he lived, the perfect blood that he had, whether that's been applied to us in our generation, in our moment, in our time. Beloved, I've messed up more times than I can count this week this morning, I can think about stuff that I just didn't trust in God. It might have not been this egregious sin over here, but moments that I just didn't trust in God this morning, that how dare I not trust the one that is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What a presumptuous sin in my life. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Let them not reign over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgressions. From that final sin, in verse 14 it says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Here at Shed Road we give a charge and benediction all in one. At the end of the service we charge and benedict with the Great Commission. That's our charge to one another. That's our charge to what we're supposed to do for God. But that's also a blessing. Behold, I am with you always. We know that that's the comfort of this. There's more than just that benediction. I know it's the only one we hardly ever give here at Shed Road anymore, but there's more of them. One of the greatest benedictions that I hear prayed in other congregation is let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. If Brother Herb Butler prays, he's usually going to pray this verse somewhere in his prayer. That he would let it be. It amazes me just to look at Psalm 19. It starts about the transcendence of God. But by the end, King David has brought it all down to us. But King David wants the words of his mouth and the meditation of his heart to be acceptable in his sight. O oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. King David knows there's no natural strength about himself. He knows there's no redemption of his own. He knows his strength comes from God. And he knows that he needs a redeemer. Beloved, the greatest Christians in this world are not strong, are weak. The ones closest to God are the ones that are most dependent upon God. The more that we see the greatness and the glorious things of God, the more humble we ought to become in life. I told you I was going to keep mentioning you. Brother Pace was one of the greatest preachers I've ever known. But he was so humble. And I think that's what made him a better, I know, I know that's what made him because he was humble about it. You caught him outside of the pulpit, he wasn't bragging about what he just preached. Not brag on God. But he wasn't going to brag about what he just preached. He was humble. And as I watched the years go by, listening to him, interacting with him in person, his humility increased across the years. As Christians, that's what we ought to be. As Christians, we're not getting stronger every day. Actually, we should be getting a little bit weaker. We should be a little bit more dependent on God every day. We ought to be a little bit more humble before God every single day. We ought to know our need of him a little bit more every single day. Our life ought to be an increasing story of what God is doing with us. So that when we cross the finish line, so that when God calls us home, may it be said of us they believed in God. They told me about Jesus, both with their words and with their actions because they knew who he was and they depended on him. May we know him. May we depend on him. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this glorious song. Nowhere have we even so much as scratched the surface of the greatness of no God. But Father, I just thank you for it. I thank you for its day-to-day impact on our lives. I pray that we would live so accordingly, God, that that's a powerful prayer that we might be able to have all of our meditations of our hearts before you. But God, I pray that We would live in such a pure way and such a humble way before you, God, that every meditation of our heart would be acceptable in your sight. We know we cannot do it on our own. We thank you for your glorious excellencies. We thank you for letting us see them. We thank you for letting us bring, for letting them bring us to you. We pray that we would see them and be able to declare to you someone else in this world that they belong to you and that you're the creator of all things. And that all that we have in this world is because we're all that we look forward to, the greater glory that is to come in eternity, is because of what you've done. Lord, we pray all of this in Thy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I don't make mention of this often enough as we come. Kind of, we're going to turn.